velvet you have? <laughs> Biggie Velvet. Modakil. This guy's amazing. The Beard! That move is illegal in most every state except in Texas. Woo! The rim is crying. If you're Russell Westbrook, why not? Welcome to another episode of Brody and the Beard on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mo DeKeel. With me, as always, our man on the ground, Kelly Eco. And we got a special guest. Trade deadline's coming up. We figured there'd be nobody better to talk to than our very own Sam Amick. Sam, how you doing? Oh, Kelly. What's up, my friends? I'm- Uncle Sam. What's going on? Kelly, Kelly, nephew. What's up, brother? <laughs> oh, you don't you don't gotta blow smoke. You can tell the truth. I mean, it's okay if I was the third guy on the list, fourth guy, you know what I mean? It's no No, you were you were you were I'm humble about this. We were trying to do like a three team deal with talks and <laughs> I got the trade kicker, I got, you know, too many complications. No. Sam, thanks for having me. I appreciate you. You're you're, you're a poison pill uh, contract. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when we hang up the call, we're gonna get a whole new bill. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we got to get to it. Obviously, we are recording on Tuesday at around one fifteen. We're about less than two days away from the trade deadline. Uh, hopefully, by the time we get this out, <laughs> nothing will have happened yet. But uh, a lot of movement going on in Houston. Kelly, fill us in right now, real quickly, what you're hearing, and then I want to I want to have Sam piggyback off of it. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, the talk of the town is whether or not Capella is going to be traded. And to be honest, I think this time last week, if you were to said, you know, Capella was on the verge of being moved, I would have thought you were crazy. But, you know, it's not the first time he's been in trade talks, you know, concerning Houston. We all saw what happened in the offseason when, you know, he got outplayed by Kevon Looney and, you know, Chris Paul and Harden, they were frustrated and, and they kind of, you know, the signs were kind of blowing in that direction of a Capella trade if they had gotten Jimmy Butler. But fast forward to now, you know, Mike D'Antoni is in the midst of his crazy small ball experiment. Capella's out injured, and there's a chance to get, you know, a wing like Robert Covington. And I think, you know, right now as it stands, talks have stalled. The problem with all these three and four team deals is that you have to understand every team has their own ulterior motive. Every team has their own agenda. So, for example, Houston – their agenda is getting, you know, a wing, a replacement big. Atlanta, they want to get a starting level center and get off of Evan Turner's, Evan Turner's money. The Timberwolves, you know, we all know they want D'Angelo Russell, you know, some draft assets. And the Warriors, I think, are the the guys that hold the key to the puzzle here because if they decide to play ball and let D'Angelo Russell go, this thing can get in motion. But I know Sam, you know, it's probably more loop or all that stuff. So what you hearing, Sam? No, Mo, I mean, that's a good breakdown. Uh, a ton of layers to this thing. I'll, I'll probably pick it up at the tail end of the way that, that you broke it down, which is the Warriors. And to me, the key question of how will Minnesota get enough assets to compel the Warriors to play ball here? And those assets conceivably have to come, you know, within this trade and, and what they get in return for Covington. Um, because the Warriors just don't have the, the motive right now to pull the trigger on something if it's anything remotely. You know, they're certainly not doing D'Angelo Russell uh, for Andrew Wiggins straight up. There's no reason they'd be involved in four-team talks, three-team talks, if that was the case. They, you know, they want to fill their cupboard as much as possible 
for their future, even though they're going to get Steph Curry, Clay Thompson back um, and, and become a, kind of a, the Warriors again or some version of them. You know, the whole point of doing the Russell deal last summer when Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn was to just, you know, have it be a long term play and to to, you know, get to this position. But they have no pressure. They, they don't have to do this right now. I think there's a little bit I would add this to qualify it. I keep hearing stuff for, about the human component with D'Angelo in particular that, you know, certainly I think he would rather have clarity about his future. And, and maybe there's a tiny bit of, you know, um, you know, if, if him and his camp are telling the Warriors, if you're going to let's do it now. Sure. But that's not going to matter that much, because for one, like, who are we kidding? They, you know, D'Angelo made the choice to go to the Warriors, take that max deal, you know, and, and that was uh, a raise over what Minnesota had on the table. Um, and so they are the X factor. I was told a little while ago that, that Minnesota, you know, the ball was in their court. And, and I'm assuming that just means, you know, what are they willing to give up to, to get this price tag up there for Golden State? Three, four team trades to begin with just are so complicated to get done. It's just so many different moving parts. I mean, I could see the three teams kind of all agreeing and then Minnesota looking at Golden State going like, is this enough? And Golden State going like, uh, no. And then the whole thing falls apart, you know? And, and I just, I mean, we, we saw it last year with a uh, little bit weird, but the Grizzlies, the Suns, and Washington, fall the whole deal falling apart because they were talking about the wrong player. Obviously, that's... <laughs> Mo, if you want to talk about that, you got the wrong athletic writer on. you got to have John Hollinger on the show because he was part of the Grizzlies front office when that happened, and he tells a pretty good story about that night. Uh, let me. I'm going to rudely interrupt real quick, Mo, because I, I feel like you guys would enjoy this color. Um, I wrote last night, I, I went to the Kings... T-Wolves game in Sacramento and I really only went out there because you know look who are we kidding I didn't care about that actual game but there's a bunch of guys on both of those teams who we're talking about you got Covington you got Wiggins uh, guys on the Kings side but what I enjoyed it's always one of my favorite things this time of year is that like if the listeners are not aware when trades like this happen you know one of the things and, and Mo you know this from your days on the on the team side one of the things that, that will happen is, okay, Team X is chewing on a certain trade scenario, but they're not quite sure what they think of you know, you know, this player, that player, and they now need to get updated scouting on that particular player. So to that point, I go to the game last night, I look across the way uh, on press row, and I see none other than uh, Mike Dunleavy and Zaza Pachulia. So Mike now is the assistant GM of the Warriors under Bob Myers. And Zaza is a consultant, but, I mean, he is a guy whose voice matters to everybody in that room. And, you know, his title is kind of nebulous, but it's not a normal occurrence whatsoever for those guys to come to a game like that. You know, certainly they, they, they sat, they watched, eyes fixed on, you know, conceivably the guys like Wiggins and Covington that, you know, they need to get eyes on. And it, it showed me at that point how real this thing was. Uh, got a sense um, talking to them kind of off the record about, you know, just where their head was at a little bit. And so that that's the part of how the, the sausage gets made, I think, that a lot of times the uh, the fans aren't aware of. Yeah, and, and NBA arenas around this time of the year are filled with so many personnel scouts. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I, they weren't the only teams that were there. You know, like a couple of teams I'm sure had scouts there. A couple of teams had guys in Houston, you know, watching – 
Capella, or, or I'm sorry, he's been out, but just keep an eye. He's a little tougher to miss. You know, Zaza's he, he, still a big boy. <laughs> he, can't, he can't fly under the radar. <laughs> they should See, that's why I'm the perfect guy they should hire. Not many people know what I look yeah, like. Get, get him on the building. Bring me in. I'll, I'll be the little spy there for you Sam, guys. Sam, there's something I want to touch on. Uh, you talked about the human aspect. Um, and, and you know when, when you talk about four, three, four team trades, obviously we live in an age now where you can fire up the trade finder and plug and play. But when it comes to these four teams, there are actual relationships behind the scenes. If you look at, you know, Travis Schlenk and, you know, the Warriors – Bob Myers, and and you look at um, Daryl Morey and, and and Gerson. There there are things that those are actual relationships that I can actually help with. You know, the acceleration of those deals and just talking in general. But do you get a sense? Because I've heard something from from the Timberwolves side that you know the owner Glenn Taylor doesn't want to actually part with some of those draft picks. You know, to to get Russell and because he. You know, he he's someone that loves the draft, and he wants to see kind of how this team moves forward. Is there any sense you get any kind of hesitation from the Timberwolves side of, of this deal? So, I mean, that's good insight, um, Kelly. Um, as far as Glenn Taylor, uh, I was not aware of that idea. Um, I, you know, the only pulse I took on that side last night was a pretty what I thought was a pretty enlightening conversation with Carl Anthony Towns. And it was just myself and a guy you guys are probably familiar with. Chris Hine covers the Timberwolves for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Yeah, yeah great, great guy. I'll be, yeah, so I'll be honest. Like, I was about to go just kind of write my column. I, you know, the, the night was getting late. Didn't necessarily know if I felt like waiting around for Minnesota guys to talk. Um, kind of assuming that you're going to get nothing but cliches. And I was glad that I did stick around. Because by the time Chris and I ended up talking to Carl, um, to be honest, Chris and I, I think, both did a decent job of like just kind of getting the conversation going. And, and Carl had a few things to say, and, and we explored uh, a few things. For one, asked him very directly about the dynamics with Gerson Rosas, you know, obviously previously of the Rockets, Daryl Moore's right hand man. And Carl has been extremely positive about Gers every time he talks about him publicly. And he went out of his way in this conversation to make it clear that he has a ton of faith in Gerson, you know, and Coach Ryan Saunders and that he didn't plan on being involved when it comes to different trade situations, that, you know, he thinks it's important for, you know, the, the franchise centerpiece, the star player, to just trust those guys to do their jobs. Now, right about the time he said that, Chris followed up by asking him specifically about Robert Covington, who is his best friend on the team. And, you know, next thing you know, Carl's kind of qualifying what he said a little bit. He's like, well, I'm not going to get involved, but, you know, I hope I see – Cove on Friday. So the human element comes into play. Um, I've always loved exploring that aspect of deals. You know, even the thing you hit on, I'll be honest, I hadn't necessarily taken the time to, to kind of connect those dots and consider that fascinating you know, pairing with these four teams. Cause that you, you said it, the Hawks Schlenk connection with the Warriors, you're going to have a comfort level in Travis dealing with Bob Myers, Travis dealing with Larry Harris, you know, also in their front office. And then the other side, you got Houston and Minnesota. Um, now you can't necessarily, you know, connect, have the same type of history and synergy uh, in those other directions. You know, Atlanta to Minnesota or Atlanta to, to Houston. Um, but I think that stuff helps. You see, if you, if you studied trades for years and years, 
you you will always be able to connect dots and and more, more you know most of the time see more trades done between people who actually just know each other better than when that's not the case. Yeah, and I want to talk uh, touch on um, the Warriors side of of this. You know, we all know that they're they want to get out of the out of the repeat attacks. You know, the money for Wiggins and Russell, you know, is pretty similar. But the key, as I've seen now, is Kevon Looney's contract. You know, four point four million over three years. If they can get off that deal, you know, and the Warriors can somehow come away with maybe a first, a first and a second, you know, maybe two firsts and Wiggins, would you consider that good business for them considering what they have coming back, you know, in the following season? Or what is the level of, you know, confidence you have from the Warriors side of things to, to you know, play – Play ball on this. I mean, if they could get, you know, under the tax, the Looney deal, like you mentioned, and then I would say two firsts, then I would be given a thumbs up on the deal. Now, Wiggins is a, just a major wild card, and that's, you know, it's a very important piece for them going forward. And and that's where it would give me reason for pause. I think the, 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 the tricky box that they have put themselves in is that, you know, in a vacuum, I understand going out and getting D'Angelo Russell because you didn't want to lose Kevin Durant for nothing, and and I understand the play. But the box you put yourself in is that the market really appears to be one in which Minnesota is the only team that is you know very very motivated <clears throat> to get that particular player. Now New York has been mentioned with D'Angelo, and that's fine. They're up, you know, they're in shambles now, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their front office. Um, Steve Mills, obviously. You know, not fired all the way, but you know, not part of the front office anymore. So that seems to be off the table. And so, you, like, you better—I mean, if you don't like Wiggins or think that you can re- rehabilitate him with the Warriors, then you've got a problem. And, right. and then, and I think, and, but you better be sure that that you truly think that Andrew Wiggins can be part of a championship-caliber team. And honestly, if you don't, then maybe you just got to take a bath on the on the Russell deal and just take you know lesser value. And that's where, and Mo, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, I think this is so interesting. I mean, those, you know, Zaza and Mike Dunleavy come up last night, and Andrew goes three for 11 with five turnovers. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I talked to him after the game. I'll be honest, man, he's always seemed like a nice kid. Like, my goodness, just does not seem to have a fiery bone in his body. Um, and you saw it a little bit early this season, but, uh, you know, the idea would be. That if you get him around Steph and Clay and Draymond, more importantly, you know, and Steve Kerr, then maybe they could kind of bring it out of him. But you know, that's a big if to me. Yeah, it's a scary proposition. I've always been afraid of Wiggins ever since you know the story came out that Glenn Taylor wanted to meet with him before giving him the extension, and you know wanted him to promise he'd work hard. You know, and and I mean, like, sorry, that just means you don't give him the extension until you until you see it. And I think that's kind of been the issue with Wiggins is, you know, we see a ton of talent, we just don't know if he'll ever get to his full potential. And that's where this is where I get scared of organizations kind of thinking, well, we could fix anybody. We he comes to us and comes into our our culture. We'll we'll be able to maximize it. Well. That's a pretty big bet for, you know, because this is this is basically a, a like you said, a massive piece 
for a potential championship run. And if if you're wrong, you're not really in the championship running game that much, or you at least have hindered it so much, and there won't be much trade value the second time around. So I don't necessarily, for me, I don't necessarily get the rush for trying to trade Russell right now, um, unless it's a, a deal that really blows you away. And and so, like, for me, I find it a bit risky. But my question, uh, really to Kelly, more... How do you feel Covington really will fit the uh, fill the void in Houston? Like do you, you know, this is a big. They're giving up a big, and unless they're getting Kevon Looney back, you know, they're they're not really replacing him. Yeah, um, that's kind of the end all be all. Is how do the Rockets get better losing Capella for Covington and maybe Looney or some you know other big? My gut says no, just because. Even though Capella, if you want to be, you know, you know, really particular, he's an average rim protector. He's a good rebounder, an average rim protector, but he's, he's still young. The problem with being young is when you're on a team like the Rockets that are full of eight, you know, older vets, your timelines are different. Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, they're, they're not thinking about, oh, let's take a swing and get better next year. They're trying to win now. And... If you don't have that kind of time, it makes it very hard for you know teams to stand around and think, okay, can we can Capella get us there? So when you look at small ball, Covington would fit in in the sense that first he would be the tallest player on the, on the floor for the Rockets in that lineup at six eight, and it allows you to do different things. It gives you time to you know get Tucker some rest, which he badly needs. It spreads the floor for Russ. Gives him driving lanes. And Covington's also someone who isn't just a standstill shooter. He can do some things off the dribble a little bit. He can, and the thing is that he's smart. When you talk about, you know, playing small ball, you're already at a disadvantage. So defensively, everyone has to be in accord. If you want to switch everything, you know, that there has to be a unison. And Covington is a smart player. I saw him, you know, he forced hard into like six or seven turnovers in that game against, uh, the Timberwolves a couple weeks back. And it just looked like he was that kind of player who can, you know, lead a defensive team, kind of like Ariza did for a couple years. You know, all in all, it's still going to be another wing. I just don't know if this small ball is going to be sustainable for an entire season. We've seen them run into teams like Milwaukee and the Lakers. If you want to be honest, the Lakers small ball with LeBron at this five is, you know, that's putting all that stuff out the water. So... I think it, it, it's an interesting move to make if you're Mike D'Antoni. It's it's a risk, but at this point, you know, in your fourth season, maybe it's time to do that. I wonder too. I mean, listen, Looney's been hurt all year, um, and I don't have, yeah. I can't, I can't pretend to have any, you know, real updated sense <laughs> of of his game. But yeah. it's like I, I do have very vivid memories of him playing some pretty high level basketball in the playoffs, and yeah. you know that doesn't appear that he's he's certainly not at that level right now. I just looked at it. You know, he's two games back from missing about six weeks, <clears throat> played minimal minutes, hasn't actually done much. It's a very different setting, though, with this Warriors team. You know, when the Warriors were healthy and they were the title-contending Warriors, you know, he was, at times, a, a, a really important X-factor piece. And so I, I don't know where Daryl Morey and Mike Antoni are in terms of, you know, what vision, if at all, they have for him on that front because everything else you said, Kelly, makes a lot of sense. I gave you a hard time off the air because I love the way you phrased, you know, you called this a, 
Mike D'Antoni's sick experiment, you know, and it's like, it's, it's fair, I think, to look at it a little sideways and to wonder how it's going to go. Um, I also think that we should not forget, you guys, I think, mentioned Clint's playoff struggles last year, specifically against the Warriors. I mean, I'm not breaking any news here to say that, like, the level of frustration internally over the way he played and the general idea that, like, for everything that Rockets team had built that, you know, in, in their darker times, there were people on that squad who just – it was as simple as if Clint would have played better, we would have gotten out, and that's how people saw it. And I think there, it just feels like there's a little bit of baggage there on that front. It feels like they've been trying to trade Capella since they signed him to that contract almost two years ago, uh, or two summers ago, I guess. Um, let me th- – let me ask you guys this, because this is something I keep going back to. I'm not 100% sold on Covington. And when I look at it, especially especially when I look at it for the Rockets. Neither were the, uh, the scouts last night who, who one of them <laughs> pointed out that he had four air balls in the first half. <laughs> I think what it is that this year is such a quiet year relative to other years at the deadline that because Covington right now is the only – you know, name that keeps coming up and up and up and up that people kind of overrate him a little bit. I don't think he's I, – I damn sure don't think he's worth two first-round picks. Sorry for my language. But, yeah, I just – I think it's a, a bit of hype. I'll say this, but, you know, at this point, he's a good player. The Rockets are interested, and, you know, they're going like, to the one again. Oh, but I don't, like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's would, would the – would the Rockets be better off trying to trade for like Marcus Morris? Now that we've seen Steve Mills is out in New York, and <laughs> oh, man, and, and just so people understand too, like all of these, everything that happens around the league always has ripple effects. And you know, before Mills was out, it seemed like Marcus Morris wasn't going to be on the market. It sounds like he is now. I don't, you know, just from the stuff I've read and heard, but. I almost feel like he's a better fit for the Rockets than Covington. You know, shoots it better from three. I think he's got a little bit more toughness in him. A little. Okay. Well, I was trying to be. I was trying to be nice. All right. He's definitely got more toughness in him. I think he kind of. I think he can help sort of sub out PJ Tucker. I think there's a little bit. Maybe he can't guard the wings so much as 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 Covington could or as well. But I think he brings other things that I think they might need more than Covington, especially if they're going to lose Capella in the process. But Mo, Mo, I want to ask you this because you've been around teams. What is the dynamic whenever you talk about trades? You know, obviously the Rockets are a plug-and-play team, you know, given their system. But say you do add a Kavon Looney and a Covington, how much does their dynamic change, you know, from now February until, you know, April, May? How, how does that change schematically? And does that shift anything internally in the in the team? Well, I think first it starts off just kind of the guys coming in and getting them up to date on your, not just your system, but your terminology more importantly. You know, because everybody does the same things. They just call it several different things. So, you know, making sure they're aware of when we switch, we call out whatever red or whatnot. Um, and, and, and I think that's the first thing you try to do. I think with the Rockets, it's pretty easy system to kind of jump into in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that makes it easier. I think the next step is kind of developing that chemistry and getting to know each other within the locker room and on the court. And I think that's always kind of, 
big season in season trades are always kind of tough because it takes a while to develop that you're shaking up your locker room to a degree. Listen, Harden knows exactly where Capella wants the ball when he rolls and, and, and the passes he can catch it and the passes he can't catch. You know, Russ has had half a season with Capella, kind of has that understanding. You know, Tucker knows when Capella rolls, where to be in the corner and, you know, if just so that Capella can find him and things like that. Now, these guys got to learn two new teammates or however many guys come across. And I think there's that whole learning thing. And in that process, you could kind of lose a game here and there just by not knowing each other where, you know, Covington's going to pop and, you know, he's going to pop to the above the break three when he should have been cut into the corner. And, you know, James is going to be in a tough spot and that's going to be a turnover. It's just these things kind of take time to develop. It's, it's, I think that's why it's always hard for a GM to really kind of just pull the trigger on these types of trades in this situation. So I, 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 I'm nervous about them trading Capella. I mean, I never thought at all this year that Capella was going to be a guy that they were going to move him this season. I thought maybe in the off season, just, I didn't, I, cause I felt like he's an important part to what they do offensively. I know he was a problem in the playoffs, but also the West is bigger now. So it's funny to me that they're going to try to keep going smaller, but you know, you have the Lakers who are huge, uh, Dallas, who's, you know, Porzingis had a huge game last night and they got pretty good size on them. Utah, Denver, they both got bigs. I think it becomes a, a bit of a challenge for them. And, and I'm curious to see if they go small and how well, uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni's sick experiment, as, as, as you said, Kelly, uh, how well that's going to play against those guys. Yeah. Sam? Um, no, good breakdown, brother. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of Mo's, you know, one of his ma- Mo masterpiece right there. Yes, sir. They're, yes, sir. I mean, they're, they're all masterpieces. I just want you guys all to know they're all masterpieces. You may not pick up on it, but it's all masterpieces. <laughs> okay. Well, love you, Mo. Keep telling you. Um, I think that what we're hitting on here, as far as the theme of the trade deadline, too, to connect some of these threads or pull it, some of these threads is these are all calculated risks, right? And you got, you know, teams that are drastically underachieving like Minnesota, but then you got teams that are mildly underachieving like Houston that, you know, they want to be there at the very end. And so Mo, to hear you break down the Capella risk kind of leaves me, you know, with some pause. And cause you know, we, we broke it down a second ago, like can Looney provide any of the stuff that, they would lose without Capella. Um, you know, is that small lineup going to work? Um, they don't have the answers. They just know that because it's early February, we have seen enough actual basketball and evidence from the Lakers, from the Clippers, from the Bucks, you know, from teams like that, from Toronto, for a team like Houston to know that they're in trouble and that, you know, they, they have currently constructed, they clearly don't think, that they uh, they have what it takes. I mean, that's the the genesis behind all this stuff. Let me. I got one more question for for Sam and Kelly. Are are there any chances? Because my big thing too with the Clippers is they need size. Is there any chances like a Montrez Harrell and Mo Harkless? Yeah, I've been for Capella, or is it like it, yo? That's it, we're we're basically sending him most, to the enemy and. Uh, is, is that something like Morey would be against doing? You know, trading with the Clippers or something to make them better? somebody that they might actually very well play in the playoffs. Is that something that that's possible? I'm just throwing that out there. I don't even know if that's a real deal or anything, but just curious if that's something that 
more it would entertain or not entertain in terms of at least dealing with a conference rival? I mean, in general, that one's, I would say no, because that, that's just, you're, you're too close proximity wise. It's not even just the West. It's two contenders. Um, but I mean, you know, listen, I don't, the Clippers are not trading Montrezl Harrell. I don't believe. And so if you were Houston and if that was on the table, I think you got to look at it because if you are putting your chips, you know, pushing them all in right now, Montrez is a free agent this summer. I think he, you know, he could do some good things in that Rockets lineup. And, and then you could get a crack at kind of making up for the fact that you missed out on him before when he was under your roof. Um, so who knows if that would be a game changer in general, though, you know, I, like you said, we're that, that one's just hypothetical and, and, uh, and I don't see anything like that happening. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of what Sam is saying, you know, obviously the Rockets have called every team in the league. And I remember one time an executive told me about the Rockets. If he's good, we're interested. Obviously, Montrez is a good player. You know, they have Jermichael Green, Maurice Harkless. There are guys on that roster that, in theory, you know, the Rockets would have interest in. But it would be one of the most awkward things ever if, if Clint got swapped for Montrez after two years after Trevor. You know, <laughs> right, he right. was sent away for Chris Paul because they had Capella developing. It would be hilarious. But it's trade deadline season. Who knows? Let's get weird. Yeah, let's get weird, man. Let's just let's just really get wild with some of this stuff. Uh, Sam, I think we kept you on uh, maybe a little too long. So uh, there. Before I let you go, you just I'm gonna you inspired me. You said let's get weird. Yeah, I love it. This is a Rockets (laughs) podcast, but I'm just gonna you know weird is weird, right? And I just chuckled because I looked at my phone. Mark Berman of the New York Post: Don't bet against Rich Kleiman, Kevin Durant confidant, to be in the running for the next job. I totally thought that for a second because man, <laughs> man, that'd be nuts. I was uh, gonna ask for a trade after a year <laughs> from Brooklyn to New York without having without having played a game. <laughs> Just going from one rehab facility to the next. That's that would be insane. I just wanted to end on a good weird note, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for coming, Sam. We appreciate you. All right, guys, be good. Kelly, that was obviously great stuff from uh, Uncle Sam, as you like to refer to him. Uh, Before we go, let's kind of talk a little bit of Rockets, kind of the motivation to go small, like like this weird experiment, the way you're describing it. Yeah, you know. Kind of touch on what you've seen. Um, you, you, I know you pulled some of the numbers on the small ball lineup. We had killed the small ball lineup in the beginning of the year. It's yeah. looking much better right now. Touch on that stuff and let's uh, and then let's wrap up and let the fans go and hopefully we can get this up before a trade happens. Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of the perfect storm when you look at Capella's injury. You look at his reluctance, I guess, to play. Hartenstein, Tyson Chandler, his love, his need for speed and his love for spacing. If you combine all those factors, obviously he's done spurts with Tucker at the five. Um, in the year they won 65 games, that was kind of their go-to move. And and it was, I think, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on the numbers exactly, but it was one of the top five, you know, offensive units in the league. The capella list lineups with Tucker at the five, and I think that's kind of why he went back to it. Obviously, it's a bit different now with Russ instead of Chris Paul. But, you know, if Russ is attacking the rim as much as he does, 
I could kind of see why a coach would want to get a big out of the way, especially if it's a non-shooting big, just because you don't want – because I, if you if you go back and watch, like, possessions closely, there are times when Russ tries to get Clint the ball. Like, he'll drive and try and dump it off, and Clint won't be able to go up with it, or Clint, his hands aren't the greatest, so he's not able to catch it fully. And it kind of stalls them a bit. So I think once you – if you remove him completely – and you just let them go five out, spread the ball, let James and Russ attack, let the shooters, you know, spot up and move the ball and whatnot. I think it gives them a bit of variance, and Daryl Moy loves variance. He loves anything that can give you even the slightest edge, you know, against an opponent. And defensively, you know, it's from the old book of coach speak, you know, play harder, get a body, box out. And, yes, they are going to give up a lot of rebounds, but the three games that they've won, Dallas, Utah, and New Orleans, you know, there have been times where it looked brutal. You know, you saw Zion Williamson just punish Tucker time and time again. Just going to the basket. Porzingis as well. Um, but in the fourth quarters of those games, the Rockets have actually out-rebounded both teams. And um, I think when it, you talk about finding an edge, if you can do that when it matters in the end of games, I think that's why Mike D'Antoni wants to lean on his laurels a bit. And he's the kind of guy that if he's winning, he's not going to change it. So the longer Clint stays out, you know, the more and more and more he wants to go to this lineup that's seen success until – and he, he, gave, he gave a great quote. He said, um, they're going to have to beat us up inside crazy for us to, to go back. Because we we won't blink that fast, so <laughs> I think he's digging his heels in in this lineup, and he's not going to change anytime soon. And if that's the case, I, I can see why they would want to go after a six eight three and D guy like Covington, and, and get some replacement big and and Looney or Tristan Thompson or what have you. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it looks like Dia Tony's kind of going back to his San Francisco. Or excuse me seven seconds or left small ball roots yeah. a little bit um and and it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out it'll also be really interesting kelly if no trade manifests itself oh, how man. it plays out with capella in the locker room because then I it gets that meme I, I know you've seen that meme of the guy that walk into that room and kind of taking a, an account of the room and just having a mean glare yeah i think, I think that's how capella's gonna walk in I mean, it's going to be on, it, on Friday. <laughs> it's well. I mean, you know, this is this is what the Rockets are going to have to figure out how to mend defenses if they don't pull off this trade. Yeah, uh, so it will get very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll see what happens with the trades. Yeah. Uh, if we need to, we might do an emergency podcast. Uh, we we got to see how this whole deadline goes, but big thank you to Sam Amick for dropping in. Make sure to read his stuff on The Athletic. Read Kelly's Kelly stuff on The Athletic. A big shout-out to Mike Smeltz for being our producer for this one while our 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 real producer is taking a vacation during the trade deadline, man. Yeah, Sasha, she, what are you doing? She said, she said forget us. Man, she it basically. But for <laughs> Kelly, for Sam, for Mike, for me, we out.